This podcast is brought to you by UserWise. In today's era of gaming, live ops is no longer a luxury. It's crucial for a game to succeed. You need to run events, test battle passes, deliver push notifications, personalize the gameplay, and plan your content. With UserWise, you can do all this and more in an easy-to-use interface designed for live ops and product teams. To learn more, visit userwise.io to schedule a demo and see how UserWise can change the way you operate your game. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the Master Retention Podcast. Today, we have a really special episode. Um, so I know many of you um, are aspiring uh, entrepreneurs. And in fact, I think pretty much everyone that works in games has always had this dream of kind of starting their own studio and, you know, having that full creative vision over whatever they're making. Um, but a lot of people are very intimidated when it comes to, you know, how do I raise money? How do I get started? How do I figure out what to actually work on. Um, and even folks that are in the trenches actually doing those things, I think sometimes it's very easy to pick the wrong game, pick the wrong genre, pick the wrong platform. There's, you know, just so many things that can, you know, go wrong. Um, so today we actually have a few of the My Game guys um, on podcast with us, and we're going to just be going into all those different types of questions of how do you actually raise money in today's world where seems like nobody's able to raise money so it's going to be a lot of fun um so we have dimitri ushunko and anton gordatsky um which hopefully i got close um also anton uh would you like to just kind of tell us your story like sure. how'd you get into gaming how'd you get to where you are what are you working on today sure sure absolutely first of all tom thank you so much for having us me and dima huge uh, honor I've been hearing about your podcast for quite a while and, um, yeah, uh, super excited to be here and really, uh, as with any other podcast that, uh, I'm, you know, invited to and asked to, 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 to be in, I'm always feeling super nervous and not really worthy because all the other guests that I'm listening to constantly on these podcasts, like are so way smarter than me. And I'm like, yeah, this will be the worst episode. And this is why I have Dima <laughs> today. Because he's way smarter than I am. Yeah, so um, uh, I am the head of industry relations at My Games, and um, I've been doing this for pretty much a year now. Which which means that I do a little bit of biz dev, a little bit of communications, uh, a little bit of events, and a little bit of you know investment uh, thing as well, like helping out the investment uh, arm of My Games. And uh, apart from that, uh, I'm the co-founder of Invest Game, and this is no secret. Like no one is gonna hopefully fire me for, that, for saying that. But yeah, and what we do is uh, we do basically two things. The one being we have weekly digests, uh, uh, dissecting all the deals that happened on the week before, and the second thing is the quarterly reports dedicated to. Um, global gaming deals. Like we analyze the private investments, the M&As, public offerings, uh, which are none this year, <laughs> pretty much. And um, yeah, we've recently done the half of the year report and uh, Dima knows about it as well. And he, he's going to tell a little bit about that later. And uh, it's high time we've done the third quarter report, actually, because the third quarter is done. But we're super 
Uh, we have no time always and super lazy, so it's going to be later. Thank you. I can't believe how fast, like, the third quarter went. Like, it's October already. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. what happened to September and stuff? So, getting caught up. Dimitri, what's your, what's your story? How'd you get into gaming? How'd you get into where you are today? Yeah. Hey, everyone. First of all, one thanks to having us here and for the invitation. And for me, I've been a gamer for the whole of my life, actually. And uh, I started as a journalist. I was writing about live staging games. Uh, and then I moved to, to the game development. Uh, I've been a game designer. I've been a producer in a small indie companies. Uh, and after maybe, uh, you know, going to a 30 spreadsheets uh, when I was creating a balance and says, okay, probably I'm not, I'm not a game designer. It's really hard to make a balance in games. It's really hard to make, you know, to make games. Uh, but I always liked the business side and, uh, I worked, uh, as a conference side of things. So I've been, uh, on the business development side for a conference for video games. And, uh, then I moved to the business development, uh, at my games actually. And, uh, I'm responsible for pretty much all business development activities. Uh, so working with our in-house studios, working with uh, strategic partnerships and working with our investment department as well. Also as for, um, side hustle for interesting things. Uh, I'm an author of uh, in the free course newsletter. So basically I'm covering on a daily basis, uh, interesting numbers, reports, and everything from, from the game industry. So I did it by myself and then was thinking, so okay, maybe, maybe someone needed and uh, I did to share it. So yeah, that's me. That's great. So you still get to exercise those journalist writing skills a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I'm going to dive right in. I mean, at the end of the day, I think what everyone is kind of wondering is like, you know, what are VCs looking for today for, you know, in founders when they're, you know, actually making investments. But um, maybe Anton, we can start with just like the most recent invest game report. I realize maybe we're not quite at the the Q3 report, but like looking at the Q3 one, um, you know, a lot of the metrics that I'm looking at pretty scary. Like I look at all this investment that was going in in like 2021 and into 2022, and now it's just like, tank. Um, so, you know, looking at these metrics, like how should we be interpreting these in terms of like, you know, can I go and raise money today or? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. I just wanted to say that I'm a big fan of what Dima does with the game dev reports. Cause, um, while you are very much deep into making this global gaming deals report every quarter. And uh, you're absolutely right that time runs so fast because we've just done the half of the year report and it's already time to do the third quarter. And it's always a pain in the A. And anyway, uh, I'm super uh, thankful to Dima because he does the best reviews of what we do afterwards. <laughs> so I don't have to. But anyway, yeah, you're kind of right. Like, uh, this whole year has been not so great for the, it, it definitely has not been as great as 2021 when the whole industry was like booming and everybody was giving money uh, right away, literally. And um, yeah, so the price, uh, pretty much every kind of, uh, every section of the deal, uh, of the possible deals are down, like the private investments, uh, you may check out it on the InvestGame website, the, the, the first half of the year report. And so they decreased by 81%, uh, I mean, the volume of the private investments compared to the previous, to the same period of the previous year, 
So the whole deal count was uh, just $1.5 billion compared to, compared to $7.6 billion. And then the number of the deals decreased from uh, 316 in the first half of 2022 to 239. So you can imagine not only the deal count has dropped, not only the number of the deals has dropped, but also the, you know, the median point of the deal has also got down. And then, uh, the, as I've said earlier, there were pretty much no public offerings at all because, you know, it, it was pretty much dead. The whole market was dead. And um, yeah, M&As, like M&As happen because uh, strategic, strategic investors uh, still have lots and lots of dry powder and, uh, you know, the company valuations are down. And so, you know, we've seen the Scopely deal. Uh, we've seen the Rovio deal. We're still looking at the Activision Blizzard King deal, which is apparently happening after all. But anyway, uh, the whole thing, the whole idea is that um, this is, we're seeing it's some kind of correction on the market. I would not say that it's like all super green and everything is down. It's just what you kind of should have expected after the crazy growth and the crazy numbers of 2022, uh, sorry, 2020 and 2021. So it's a little bit of correction, a little bit of both, a little bit of correction, a little bit of, you know, the macroeconomic things happening all around and challenges. And uh, as Dima has mentioned earlier, all these, uh, you know, letting go of uh, lots and lots of stuff in the gaming companies. This is all um, a complex thing. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And I also want to add that, uh, from my perspective, what's happened when there was, you know, a hype on the gaming market in 2020, 2021, we've seen a lot of non-institutional investors to go into the market, you know, throwing money away. And they were thinking that creating games, uh, you know, is easy thing. So you can literally just pour money in there and get, you know, financial results, but, uh, it's not happening. It's a hard and top job to do. You need to have a great team. You need to have a great game. You need to have a great market positioning. So there are a lot of stuff where you can make a mistake. So I think that's also one of the reasons why the market is actually getting back to normal. I wouldn't say that it's, uh, you know, going down somewhere. If you will compare it to 2019, maybe 2018, I think it's more or less the same numbers. So it went from the, you know, through the hype actually. And now getting back to normal. So I think that's, that should be the approach. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, one more thing would be that, um, there's lots and lots of dry powder, uh, of, uh, you know, from venture capital guys. Right. But the thing is gaming is not venture kind of business per se. Cause you see all these huge numbers. And as Dima has said, all the, um, institutional investors are like, but we're seeing huge growth, huge growth uh, numbers uh, at the market, like the revenues, the downloads, the MAUs, the day use, everything has been on the rise. And they were like, we should get in there, like, and get some access. And then you, when you start digging in, you see that when you start dissecting the subgenres and platforms and, and lots and lots of nuances. And understanding that making a hit game is increasingly hard for the last couple of years, especially. 
even longer, really. And then to make sure that your game can engage people and, you know, and great retention numbers, this is very hard. And as soon as lots and lots of new people, newcomers started, started getting into making games, people started understanding that it's not that big of a, big of a thing, really. Yeah, and also I think we've seen uh, much less follow-up investment because uh, when you was investing in 2020, in 2021, valuation was, I would say, overpriced. Everyone was going in there, pouring money, increasing valuations. But uh, what you should always think about when you're, you know, getting money, when you're getting around it, you either will have a next one, so you need to keep a balance between your valuation and the uh, yeah, uh, and you know, you you could have thoughts about how will uh, the next round look like, or you should get with this round to the moment where you start earning money and where you can uh, feed your team, where you can be, you know, in in operation zero at least. So the break break even point, and that's what many I think many companies and many game developers. Um, Maybe they do think about it, but uh, when, you know, everyone is on hype, it's pretty easy to forget about it. Yeah. So, um, Anton, you talked about platforms as well as other nuances that are, you know, important to go into. Um, so uh, let's talk a little hypothetical. Like, let's say I've decided to start a studio today. Right. And I've once you two to join me for whatever reason, we're going to be co-founders. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on the platforms that we should be looking at? I mean, there's so many to choose from. Um, some of them, like we've heard, you know, the massive success stories, but, you know, anytime you have that, there's always that, you know, survivorship uh, yeah, yeah. going on in there. I mean, we've got the more user-generated content platforms like, you know, U UEFN. I don't really like that acronym, but, you know. Um, Fortnite Creator, Roblox, and then of course we've got mobile, which has been, you know, the dominant thing up until IDFA. Um, you know, we still have PC, we still have console. There's still some, you know, bold uh, people going after VR. Um, you know, even there's web and other things that are out there. You know, how would you approach, you know, choosing a platform for our new studio coming from the investor side of like what you guys are looking at, what you've seen work, what you've seen not work? Um, yeah, thank you. Since this is a hypothetical situation, I would probably have to say that, you know, it's a, it's a shitty thing to do to answer a question with a question, but, uh, I'd rather look at what expertise and what experience you as a team and you as a founder or a co-founder have, uh, uh, beforehand, right? Like. Uh, every platform and every niche and every subgenre have their own nuances and have their own um, pros and cons. Like, as you have said, mobile is a super red market. Of course, it's the biggest share of the market, right? But still, uh, the, the more popular it is and the, more, the bigger it is, the more players it has, right? So you're definitely going to have way more competition on mobile, especially on, I don't know, match games, right? Um, or, you know, shooters, mobile shooters, for example, than say on Roblox, maybe, or the Fortnite uh, platform, like that acronym that she used. 
earlier, but do you have uh, the relevant experience to make a game, not on mobile, but on the platform, on the UGC platform, right? And then you have to take into account the 70 something percent commission, don't quote me on that, but the 70 something commission on Roblox, right? Are you ready for that? Instead of the 30% commission on uh, mobile, of course. But then uh, you, you're thinking, uh, so I'm going to go mobile because mobile is the biggest platform, right? And the biggest has the biggest reach out there. But then do you know and do you have what it takes to make a proper marketing uh, for your mobile game? Because if you, if you rely on just organics, you're probably not going to get there at all. Like as there's, you know, the, uh, the survival bias uh, goes, you, we never hear about, we always hear about the Royal match success, right? Like about the dream games thing, but then nobody really tells you about all those match three studios who have perished trying to create a hit game. And that's incredibly hard. And then so run is something that you should today. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. The unity thing. And, uh, then you have PC and console and they're all, you may think that making a PC slash console game is, uh, a little bit easier on one hand, right? Like you just have two to three platforms, uh, um, to market your game and then you gotta know and you got to learn how to work with uh, influencers with streamers if you're going with the pc game and then you got to know how to work with playstation and microsoft when you're making a console game and then do you really want to concentrate on uh, making a console only game so there's a lot of nuances so i'd rather here's yeah here, here's a question you're talking about like strengths and, and things of like the background right. let's say i come from mobile and I have a strong background in mobile, you know, got in 2014, 2015. We had a few, few games that, you know, shot up because that was pre-IDFA and we were able to just like get that niche audience, whatnot. Um, I'm struggling now because I can't do that IDFA stuff, but I still understand that performance marketing type thing. You know, do you think there's an opportunity for a team like that to be like, okay, well, we know how to make a great free-to-play game. We know how to monetize it. We just can't get people in on mobile. Could we replicate a game on PC? We realize there's probably some things that we have to learn with Steam, but there's like not that strict IDFA type thing. So, you know, could we take that performance marketing skill set and utilize that over on like a Steam marketplace to try to, you know, drive users in or something like that? That partially depends upon the subgenre that you've been working on before. Like, um, um, yeah, I mean, you can do this, uh, theoretically, and then you got to think of all the nuances again. Like if, what, what type of game have you been making before? How did you, uh, get to success back in 2015, for example, like, was it a Forex strategy or was it a match three title? And then you got to think about how you're going to adapt this one. And then how do those, uh, subgenres feel on steam or I don't know, EGS maybe. So maybe Dima, yeah. Yeah, maybe we can uh, do a little bit of step back and answer ourselves why we are creating a company and why we're creating a game actually. So what we do want to achieve, do we want to achieve a financial success? Do we want to create a game of our dreams? So what, what, what's the reason behind this? And uh, it helps to answer where to go. Well, and actually, as we're taking a step back here, um, 
what about co-founders? So you talked about like the experience and stuff that you want. So um, let's pretend that I've fired you two and I'm, I'm back to myself. Okay. And I've decided that I want to go after, I don't know, Unity uh, Creative Experience, UEFN. Um, what do you think I need to look for in a co-founding team to be able to do those? Like, what should I look for in a co-founder from an investor perspective? Like, what do you want to see in a set of co-founders? What skills do you want to see? You know, what backgrounds, et cetera. Ideal world, uh, you need a tech person. You need a marketing person. You need a product person. You need an um, administrative person uh, that will be able to run you know, all the business teams and stuff. Um, Anton, have I forgot about uh, anyone? No, 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 absolutely. I mean, you have to have a, a proper CTO who will take care of all the backgrounds and uh, uh, who will make sure that uh, your game can stand scaling and uh, new audience. And then um, for people that maybe haven't worked with, you know, a person like that, like what does a proper CTO mean? Like what sort of skill set would you expect them to have or, you know, things they've done in the past? Right. Yeah. Okay. I think I, I can answer this. So if, uh, if you're developing a single player game, for example, so this should be a person that haven't some released games uh, before that was creating a tech uh, infrastructure for the game. If we're speaking about the multiplayer game, so definitely it should be a person who worked with the servers, who set it up the infrastructure might have been, you know, a live project or something development. So the person should understand how, uh, people will be able to play the game in a multiplayer, how, how it might be scaled, uh, what kind of backend solutions is there and so on and so forth. So basically I think if we will generalize everything, experience of living or release titles for, for each category, either it's a single player or a multiplayer. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And then the marketing, like I, I I'll, I'm pretty sure that it's very rare for a team to have an ideal set of co-founders, the one Dima has mentioned uh, beforehand. Never seen <laughs> I think never see one. Yeah, well, um, and then, uh, yeah, you, if you don't, don't have that, then I would say uh, the tech guy, uh, definitely. One of the co-founders should be the CDO. Uh, and uh, it's, well, it, for example, Invest Game is not a game, really. It's not a game product. But uh, CDO is the person who's been helping us out all the way, like all these two years. He's been saving uh, sometimes our lives. I mean, the life, the life of the project, really. Um, taking care of, you know, email service and whatever. And then hostings. Uh, um, and then um, the marketing slash product guy, maybe combining the skill set. Uh, definitely going to miss out on something. Absolutely. But if you don't have a perfect set, and I would say you, you should combine the marketing and administrative guy, and then the product or slash slash marketing or product slash CTO guy, something like that, like a combination of two or three people. Yeah. yeah and also one, one thing is probably you need the, you know, three or five or, or seven even people, you know, so you shouldn't have a situation where there will be, you know, 50, 50, uh, division in, um, opinions actually, because it will, it will 
Probably, yes. Probably there might be a situation where all the conversation, really important ones, will be in limbo, where two people, for example, uh, will be, you know, for one solution, two people for another one, and the founding team won't be able to do a solution. So that's a big problem. So founders, they should have uneven um, kind of votes, uh, or there should be uneven uh, amount of uh, founders. So from my perspective, it just makes lives easier. So yeah. democracy. Yeah. And also, absolutely. And also one more thing, please never, ever uh, mention the <laughs> the combined number of years in the industry on your pitch decks. Like saying things like we have a combined of 100 plus years uh, making games is, you know, just doesn't cut it really. Like that's 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 not a proper mathematics love it um okay uh so let's say i i found the perfect founding team um and we've you know made a game and we now want to start going out and raising like um can you talk to me about the different KPIs that you are look for from a VC standpoint for pre-seed to seed to series A like where would I need to be in order to be able to actually raise those rounds? Um, I think for a pre-seed, all that matters is the team, uh, and that's core component. Uh, and I think second priority will be an idea and overall concept uh, for the game you're creating. And speaking about the seed stage, uh, obviously you should have, like obviously, from, from our perspective, not obviously, from our perspective. Um, you should have something to show already, a prototype, MVP, so something we, we can play actually. Um, if we're about later stages, definitely there should be first metrics. If, if we're speaking about free play or we're speaking about mobile, or it should be a vertical slice with a sufficient amount of content if we're speaking about the premium game actually. Yeah. Are there like, you know, for Obviously, pre-seed's usually before the game, but seed years, there's at least something there. Like, are there early signs that you guys are seeing that there's successful startup execution for that kind of seed stage, you know, startup? What do you think? That's a great question, actually. <laughs> um, so once again, what would be the the green flag to make a, uh, a seed round for the team, right? Do I get it? Do I, I get it? All right. Yeah. If, if this is a question and what will be, what, what will be a green flag? So a green flag will be a game that is interesting to play. And that's first and foremost, uh, probably the developer will, will be able to have some preliminary met metrics. So if we're speaking about mobile, so retention, day one, day three, day seven, maybe some monetization numbers. So we will be able to check early errors already. We will be able to do some tests you know, for a game. It, it isn't working the same way for a, for a premium game because basically you, you have only one shot there. Okay. You with the you know, early access, but I haven't seen any cases when you know early cases, uh, early access game failed and then it went as a phoenix at the global release. Then we're like, maybe No Man's Sky actually, which was quite bad at the release. And then you know, 
uh, kind of boomed after with the great live ops. Um, yeah, returning back to you to, to the seat for mobile uh, product, uh, preliminary metrics, um, know-how actually, and uh, an understanding of how to drop the market. I think that that also makes uh, makes sense. So, if the founder will be able to explain how as the team will enter the market and how the team will uh, will conquer it, actually, it will be a great advantage. Uh, so, it shouldn't be you know we're creating a clone of some popular game like we, we've seen so many even part survivors clones and all kind of variations right now, and uh, that's 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 not working from my perspective. Like. You can go to Steam and see how many Vampire Survivors phones are there, and uh, there are very few of them that earn money. So yeah, the idea should be, if not unique, may, at, at least unique executed. The very fact that we are speaking hypothetically here is probably one of the reasons that we've recently um, shifted the focus of investments on our own and not doing only, like a lot of pre-seed and seeds. Because um, Dima is absolutely right. And I also want to add that sometimes you just get the feeling like we're on a call, whatever you want to call. And um, look, there's been, there have been cases of both free-to-play and premium games when you just know that a person would deliver on their promises. There's, no, there's never 100% guarantee that the game will become a hit, right? But then you just know that sometimes a person knows what he's doing or the team knows what they're doing. And then on the other hand, you just some, you sometimes look at the, and the, you, the, the team uh, may have a build, a playable build, and then they have some kind of a vision and it's not easy already. But then you just know that they have no proper idea of what they're doing. They have no idea of the subgenre niche and what are the hits and how they're going to handle them. Right. So, and they may say things like, I don't want to be specific, <laughs> just, you know, not to offend anyone, but they may say things like, we're going to take on PUBG or I don't know, um, Garena or whatever mobile battle, battle royale. Right. And they just, there's a team of two or three people. And they're like, we, what we, we can do this because of, whatever, really, like one USP. And it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. Never going to work. It's going to, it's, it's, it may work like one in a hundred cases. So you just, you just know this thing sometimes. There's no, nothing, um, it may have nothing to do, have, may have not anything to do with metrics or, you know, KPIs. It's just a vision, really. So, yeah, it's tough. It's tough out there these days. And uh, as we often um, joke around, like, actually, was it your joke? I don't know, Dima. But anyway, I'm going to tell it. <laughs> Sorry. Like, the best time to make an investment, to get an investment, was like a couple of years ago, really. You still can do this. You still can do this, absolutely. But it's way tough. And this is one of the reasons. So, maybe... Flipping out of hypothetical here, and you don't have to name names if you don't want to, but you know, can you tell me a little bit about like a recent investment that you made? Like, why did you guys choose to make that investment? 
So I think we can uh, we can tell about the particular one uh, about the breed on um, that we just uh, recently this summer did. Um, so why we did this investment? Because the overall niche is interesting. We have no experience there in a skill based gaming. Uh, it's pretty hard to move in there because you need to set up, you know, a specific legal entity. You need to do all the payment ecosystem because that's a, that kind of game where people deploy for, for the real money, actually. So they deposit their money, they get in back their money. Uh, and it's pretty hard, you know, just to start as an RN because it requires a lot. Uh, and uh, we spoke with Leo and uh, Leo is a fantastic guy. I would say that's that's kind of founder you you can dream about. So he's a business focus. He didn't know a lot about uh, the product. He didn't know about the niche and why he's going there. Uh, they already had the preliminary metrics, uh, which were very promising, and they had a beautiful team to um, to develop the game and to release it. And um, yeah, I think I think that's uh, that's answer. So why why we did this investor? So the first one, very interesting niche, uh, and interesting niche where hard to get. Uh, second one, great founder, beautiful team, and preliminary metrics. So four points here. So I think that's that's a great example of uh, what kind of early investors we were doing right now. That's the ones that are this close. Yeah. No, bring it, bring it on is great. Um, and we actually started working with them recently too. And they kind of came to us and they're like, Hey, we've got these great metrics. This is where we're kind of going. You know, will you go on the journey with us? Um, and here's all the stuff we want to do from like a live ops perspective. And it kind of blew me away. I was like, I hadn't really considered all the possibilities of what could be done from a live ops perspective, like in a skill-based game, but like they wanted to do all these things that weren't even out there before. And it just kind of blew me away. So I totally get that of like, Hey, you know, a founder that knows how to execute and where they're going, they can just yeah. kind of tell the story and kind of just draw you into it. So I get it. Nice. Yeah. He sold us the idea actually, because before, before meeting with Leo, we were, you know, we, we, we knew about the skill base, but uh, we had no idea how much uh, perspective lies in there. And then uh, after, you know, Conversation with the deal after this investment, where you really went to to quite deep consideration about the news. So we've never, we've never, that's interesting. Yeah, sorry, we've never done uh, something like that before, have we? Yeah, yeah, that, absolutely. Never. Yeah, yeah, that's quite a unique uh, investment yeah, yeah. for us. But that's just another argument for being uh, no tunnel vision, right? Because uh, one of the things that founders do. Uh, is that they create games of their dream. And uh, we've been doing some events this year, of course, uh, thank God, finally. And uh, we have often seen founders who are pitching you a game that is the game they will, they always wanted to play since their childhood. And whatever, PC, premium, or mobile free-to-play, whatever. And they're just pitching you a game with, like, they have a vision. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, they, they love what they do, which is cool, which is good, but that's not enough. Once again, you have to all, you have to also understand how the niche looks, how the subgenre looks, what, who are the leaders, uh, what are the dynamics there, who's on the rise, who's on the fall. And then 
uh, they just make games uh, which maybe consciously or subconsciously just clones of what's already with no USPs whatsoever. And they may not even know about it. They just want to, they just want to play a game they like, they love. And they, you know, so yeah, you got to be open-minded and you got to constantly um, tracking what's happening in the industry. Yeah. And I think what might be a good advice for for the founders. So if you're going to to the competitive market, you need to offer some kind of USPs. But if you're going to the uncharted territory, you can go with a pretty basic game. You know, it shouldn't be something specific. Just because the market will grow, your game will grow there. And then uh, when you will be at the live operations, you will be able to improve your game. You know by the flowing of time based on the based on the metric. So searching for new niches is always good. Yeah, I'll leave with one one final thought that I have um as a serial entrepreneur. Look for your unfair advantage. So like what does you and your team possess that nobody else out there really does or it'd be very, very difficult for them to replicate that or to get that. Like I look at Marvel Snap. What was their unfair advantage? Well, they'd all worked together and they built Hearthstone. So they deeply understood that kind of CCG type audience. They knew how to replicate that. They'd done that on Overwatch. They're doing it again on like, you know, their next game that's coming out. So they they know how to deeply go in and do this process. So what's your unfair advantage? You know, and sometimes it's knowledge about marketing. It's knowledge about making a certain product. It's a certain tech advantage that you've done. Like Everyone has unfair advantages. So do you know yours and do you know how to apply them in such a way that they're going to like maximize the value that you get out of that? Um, oh, sorry. It's very interesting that you brought up uh, Marvel Snap because we've been doing this uh, thing called Game Drive uh, during this year. I don't know whether you heard about it or not, which is uh, kind of a uh, accelerator slash uh, communication platform for founders and investors as well. And uh, we've been doing this with, you know, uh, Amazon WS and um, game analytics and some other, and you know, um, oh Jesus, I forgot. Maybe, uh, maybe we go <laughs> mention that later. But anyway, uh, and uh, some amazing speakers have been um, helping us out with that. And one of them is Philip Black uh, from Game Economist, right? You, you've all heard about him as well, of course. And he has this beautiful talk about uh, uh, gaming hypothesis. Like uh, there's five questions you got to uh, answer first before you start a game studio or before you start making a game. And so there was a beautiful example. Like one of the reasons, uh, if you're going to deconstruct that, uh, that Marvel Snap uh, succeeded, right? Apart from the execution and the vision and whatever, the quality of the game is that... And the Marvel IP... Of course, of course, hundred percent. But again, you got to deliver on the AP as well, don't you? And they did. And then another reason was that there was no mobile first CCG on the market like that before. Like Hearthstone and others, they were just ports or adaptation yeah. of PC titles. And then a team, of course, the uh, skilled, experienced team with a beautiful AP, crazy AP, really, makes a game which is the first mobile uh, mobile for CCG, right? So you got to, what Dima has said is like, 100, I 100% agree, 
you got to find, and what you, Tom, say as well, uh, you got to find that advantage and you got to find that beautiful USP of yours and not just make another game look looks like, uh, yeah, so, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, yeah, the game drive is, uh, we, we do that with Google and Data AI and Amazon AWS and lots of and game analytics and deconstructor of fun, lots of beautiful people in the industry. So yeah, here you go. Yeah, and just, just, just one addition. Uh, if you haven't seen it, please uh, have a look at the Ben uh, Broad uh, presentation at GDC. I, I, I think it was 2022. I, I, that's one of the best speeches yeah. I've ever seen. It's a one hour long about how they create Marvel Snap. That's, that's just, you know, superb. I highly recommend it. All right. Everyone's homework. Go listen to the Ben Brody speech if you haven't already. It's fantastic. But uh, thank you all so much for joining us. Um, if uh, folks do have any questions, I'll probably just direct them to the My Games website and uh, we'll take it from there. But thank you so much. Tom, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Uh, if you guys have any questions, just reach out to Dima or me on LinkedIn or My Games website and emails, whatever. Thank you so much.